Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. In 2001, due to a series of circumstances, um, I started selling some furniture. I became a salesman at Morris Home Furnishing. And I was in training at Morris Home Furnishing, and it only took about a week before I learned the value of a seat. Now, understand, because there's a difference between cost and value. And I had to be taught the difference between cost and value because as I was going around the showroom and I was being introduced to the various furniture groups that we had and I was being introduced to selling furniture and how to tell people about furniture, here's what I quickly noticed. If you go right now to Naylor's Furniture right up the street to buy a sofa and love seat, the love seat only costs about 10% less than the sofa even though it's only two-thirds of the seating capacity. And I'm like, wait a minute, why is it only 10% less if it's two-thirds the seating capacity? And my trainer looked at me and said, well, here's the thing. Where do you think the cost is in the furniture? You see, the cost of building furniture is here, in this part of the sofa, and here in the framing of the seating that's on both pieces of furniture. This right here is just a longer piece of wood, right? So, so the cost just is almost the same to build this as it is to build this. I said, well then why wouldn't you just buy two sofas? And he said, well some people don't have room for two sofas. He said, but here's the super secret furniture thing you need to know. And you guys, this is your little tip. That's only one seat. Now, you're looking at it and you're going, no, no, Dal, there's two. I I don't know where your math, listen. If you walk in a room and there is one person sitting here, unless you really like them, you're not sitting there. Even if there are two people sitting here, You would rather commit to two people equally than to one person individually. Because this is a love seat. So here's the thing. If you go to buy furniture and you don't have enough room for two sofas, buy a chair. Save the money. If you have room for two seats but not room for a sofa, go ahead and buy two chairs. It'll cost you a little more, but the value of seating is higher. Does that make sense? And if you have room, like I do, just buy two sofas, because then you got six seats, and everybody can sit together. Tony's gonna be so happy because I'm selling furniture right now. Listen, I was telling my kids about this last night when I had them come over here and help me move these sofas up onto the stage. And my daughter said to me, Dal, or Dad, she had called me Dal. What's this got to do with Jesus? I said, I'm glad you asked that. 
because tomorrow they're going to have the same question. Well, if you will turn with me in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, we're going to read a story that if you've spent much time raised in the church or much time in the church, you might have heard before. You might have just heard the song and not the whole story, but we're going to look at another meal with Jesus, and we're going to talk about what happens when you sit in certain seats. We're going to talk about the cost and the value of those seats. Here's the story. He, that's Jesus, just so you know, this whole book is about Jesus. So sometimes when it says he, you just need to look and make sure we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. All right. Jesus in Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house." And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble again. That would be the Pharisees and the people uh, in the town. We'll talk about that more here in a minute. And he has, gone, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much as and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, when you read this, if you've been part of this sermon series for a while, you may flash back to Levi, where Jesus did something very similar with another tax collector and realize some of the things that we learned from Dale, that tax collectors were considered the worst of the worst. There were, there were the uh, Pharisees and the holy people. There were average people. There were women. There were dogs. And then there were tax collectors and prostitutes. And going to the house of an unclean person was something that Jesus did more than once. This is not the first time he's done this. It's just in a new space. And you may begin to think that this is very similar to that event with Levi. And there are some similarities, but there are also some differences. First of all, this takes place in an interesting place. Maybe you've heard of Jericho, at least the wall that fell down. Well, if the entire city was destroyed and burned, to ashes by the Israelites as they came into, uh, into the, the promised land. You may ask yourself, uh, so what happened? How did it get back? Well, here's the reality. We know that when they rebuilt Jericho, that it cost the, son, the life of the son of the guy who was rebuilding it at the beginning and the life of his youngest son at the end. And that was a curse put on Jericho in Joshua's time, but the man did it anyway. Some of us aren't so smart. And 
Zacchaeus is in now this major city. And Jericho sits right as you cross the, where you would cross the Jordan from east to west into the Palestine. And so it was on the road to Jerusalem from the west side or the east side of Palestine. As you go up to Jerusalem, it's on the road. It's right there by the river. And so it was a big city. In fact, there are two sections to Jericho. There's the old city that's still outside of Jericho as, we, as Zacchaeus is living in it. And then there's the inner Jericho. And we know this because if you turn back one chapter in your Bible, chapter 18, what you'll read is about a blind man who's out in the outside city of Jericho that Jesus heals of his blindness as he's heading into the city. But you're like, but he's already in Jericho. Well, okay, so when you go to Mason, are you in Cincinnati? Yes and no, which is what's happening here as Jesus comes into Jericho and he heals the blind man. He's in Jericho, but he's not in Jericho, right? And then he goes into Jericho and that's where Zacchaeus encounters him. There's some other things that are details about Zacchaeus that are very important. First of all, he was a rich man. We gotta know that. And he probably got rich being a tax collector. And that's important. Because anytime someone becomes rich doing something that everybody else hates them for, you have to ask yourself, why? Secondly, we know that Zacchaeus was short. And so all of this makes me think about the old song. You guys have heard the old song, right? Probably when you were younger, some of you, actually some of you would have been younger, some of you maybe not as young. You remember? Short people got no reason, right? Anybody remember? All right, sorry. Y'all were expecting a different song, weren't you? All right, so anyway, here's the thing. As I explore why Zacchaeus would choose to be a tax collector, I see a broken kid. Maybe it's just my experience. Maybe it's just how my imagination works as I see God working in different lives and as I've experienced life after life after life. But to choose to do a job that you know you're going to be hated for from the time you say yes, something was broken. And the reason I imagine it was broken for Zacchaeus when he was a kid is because he was short. And I know short kids, and I know what they go through. You know what short kids go through, right? You're picked on from the beginning. You're always the short kid in the class. Anybody ever been the short kid in the class? You get picked last for every ball game, right? You, you are never a star athlete because you're not big enough. The basketball team is, doesn't even want you, right? Short people are often relegated to a lower, well, that's kind of the lower class. Sorry, not trying to be rude. The reality is this. Very early on, Zacchaeus probably faced some difficulties with the people around him as children that made him hard in his heart. So that when the opportunity came to take a job where he could have power over those people, He said yes. 
Because when you decide to be a tax collector, you get assigned a table and you get assigned a section of the city and you get assigned some people you're going to collect taxes from and you get to, and Dale has told us this, you get to collect the taxes owed to Rome and whatever else you can get. And you get a guard, a big one with a spear and a sword and shield and armor. and I mean, heck, you want power? And my guess is that Zacchaeus, very early on in his adult life, decided it was worth it to have the power. Over all those people who had picked on him when he was a kid, all those people who had treated him like he was less than them just because God didn't choose to make him taller, all those people who made him feel less than because he was less than. There is value when you change your perspective and you begin to see yourself differently. And sometimes you don't even realize it's happening. When it started for Zacchaeus, he didn't even realize it was happening. Let me tell you something right now. If you are distant from God, if, if maybe you are here right now and, and you don't even know Jesus, you're kind of just curious. Can I tell you something? You change seats the moment you decided to come in today. Maybe you're online and you're checking us out just because you're curious. The moment you decide to watch, you change seats. And the cost of curiosity isn't that high. It's really not. But curiosity changes your perspective. Most people who are hard and cynical and caught up in themselves and caught up in their own way and caught up in what they want to do, curiosity will change their perspective. And it did for Zacchaeus. Here's what happened. Zacchaeus got curious, and so he went to go see Jesus. He probably was sitting at his table, you know, with his guard, and he's taking taxes, and all of a sudden, everybody starts leaving the table, and they start leaving the line. They start going away. They hear some news is passing, and he hears some whisper of a rumor of a teacher that's coming into town who's healed a blind man. I mean, come on. That'd get you to get up and move, and so he got up, and he moved. He didn't stay in his seat trying to hold on to his own power, trying to hold on to his own way of doing things. He decided to be curious and go see what else was out there. And if you're sitting here today and that's you, you don't really know Jesus, but you see these people around you and things are different about their lives and their lives are changing. And you're going, I'm curious. Thank you for coming. Because curiosity changes things. Now, for Zacchaeus, it was a little bit more cost than for some of us, and here's why. When Zacchaeus got to the crowd, he was a little late getting there. And so the crowd was in the way, and he couldn't see Jesus. And so we know the story. What do you do? He ran ahead of the crowd, and he found this tree. In my mind, this tree had always been there, but he hadn't been able to reach the limbs when he was younger. Now he's a little taller. And he climbs up in this tree. In fact, if you go to Israel right now, there is a tree that's called Zacchaeus Sycamore. It's one of the biggest tourist attractions in Israel. We don't know that it's the same tree, but it's exactly like it. And it's so big around that they have a, a, basically a little cave you could sit in inside of it and make fires, but it's also got branches low to the ground so that a short guy could get up in it. And it's very leafy, so you could kind of hide in it. 
So Zacchaeus is up in this tree. He climbs up in this tree so that he can see. And if you're Zacchaeus, what you're looking for is somebody with power, somebody who probably is strong and big and stands out in the crowd. And I can just imagine him sitting in that tree and he's looking out and he's scanning the crowd and he's trying to figure out where is this Jesus guy? And he sees that the crowd is kind of all moving around this central group of guys. And I can see him looking down right now and seeing that big man. Looks, looks like a big, I mean, Galileans were a little different anyways. They had, they had blonder hair because of all their time on the sea. And so they, they probably had a little bit lighter colored hair than the rest of the Jewish community. And as they're moving down through the city, he probably looks and he sees this big old guy, big burly guy. And he just thinks that's gotta be Jesus. But as he's watching the crowd move, he realizes, no, that guy's near the center, but that guy's not Jesus. Because everybody's around, well, I wouldn't even notice that guy. He looks awful average to me. Until he looks up. And when Zacchaeus' eyes met Jesus' eyes, everything shifted. You see, the real Jesus, the one who walked among us, we're told in Isaiah, there was nothing about him that would draw the attention. There was nothing about him that would draw your attention. He wasn't some handsome six-foot surfer in a white toga. He was average. But there was probably something in his eyes when he looked up. And Zacchaeus looked in the eyes of our Lord. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I'm going to your house today. I wonder if he almost fell out. Right? Because just the shock, number one, he sees the guy. Number two, the guy knows his name. Number three, the guy tells him he's going to his house. And he knows that a teacher who is as, as powerful as this one, who can heal the blind, who everybody is following, wouldn't go hang out with an unclean guy like him. And yet he, he scrambles down the tree. Listen, if you're one of those people who's curious, let me tell you something. There's a little bit of cost in being curious. It's hard to come into a church for the first time or, or maybe you've been here a few times and not really know what's going on and not what people, know what people are doing. To come online and, and to check us out is not as hard, but it's still, you know, to make that click, to sit down, to, to hear what somebody has to say about Jesus, it takes a little bit. And, and there's a little bit of cost there. And, and I get that, but let me tell you something. Jesus is inviting you to eat with him. He wants you to sit down with him. He wants to know you and he knows your name and he is calling you and inviting you to him. But you gotta decide if you're willing to change seats because the next seat costs a little bit. But Zacchaeus says yes. And that's all it takes. When Jesus invites us to come to him and he's inviting you right now, all you gotta do is say yes to that invitation. 
And then he's gonna ask you for a little bit. Because here's what Jesus asked of Zacchaeus. He says, I'm gonna come to your house and I'm gonna eat with you. Now to you and me, that, all right, great, let's go. We'll grab some hamburgers at Wendy's on the way, right? Maybe order pizza in, because we got guests now. There were no pizza huts. Somebody had to cook a fatty calf. Somebody had to make the meal, okay? And so Zacchaeus is giving up to have the, and it wasn't just Jesus. There were 11 other guys or 12 other guys there. They were all coming. And when you got the 12 and you got Jesus, you know that at these meals, it meant a lot. Okay, we're throwing a party. And can you imagine Zacchaeus saying, you know what? That's great, Jesus. I'm gonna run home and get some things together. You just come on. I'll be there when you get there. And running home and he's doing all the things and he walks in the front door, says to his servant, hey, we're gonna have a party. Everybody get, go kill the fatted calf. We gotta get things ready. We're gonna have people in. They're coming this way. We need to make sure we're ready. We're gonna set everything up so that everybody can sit together and we can have all this big meal. Go ahead and set a uh, 13 places over here for Jesus and his disciples, then the rest of us can sit over here and I'll sit with you guys. And his chief servant was probably like, what has happened to the master? <laughs> He's lost his ever-loving mind. But Zacchaeus, would, you know, he, he goes back through it again. He says, let's set it all up, get it all ready. I wanna make sure that we're all set. We got 13 seats we gotta have for Jesus and his, his 12 closest disciples. And then the rest of us will sit over here and I'll sit with you. And then they come in, and they all sit down to eat. And let me tell you something. When you invite Jesus in, it costs a little something. But it's not a lot. It takes a little effort. We call it baptism. But it's not a lot. And honestly, your effort is really minimal when you're baptized. You, you go down into the water, and then you just stand there and let Dale do all the work. Or some other believer. doesn't have to be Dale. You just surrender. Oh, but the value of this seat. You see, this seat is eternal. This seat is is the seat of salvation. This seat is the seat where you get to enter into the kingdom of God and you get to be in Jesus' presence. This is the seat where you begin to experience God. And Jesus comes and you experience him in wave after wave. You experience him with his people. You experience him as, as you're sitting amongst teaching and you're learning and the Holy Spirit himself comes inside you and the God who created the universe, the living, breathing God is alive in you. This seat doesn't cost much, but the value is really high because you're in the kingdom. The problem is that when Zacchaeus sat down and they all began to eat, my guess is Jesus, sitting over here, had a questioning look on his face as he just stared Zacchaeus down. And Zacchaeus was probably a little uncomfortable. You know that feeling when someone's staring you down? You know someone's looking at you? You, you guys have all felt that, right? All right, so he's, so he's eating, they're, everybody's laughing, they're carrying on, and he, and he looks, and Jesus is staring at him. Zacchaeus, I want to eat with you. Why are you way over there? 
Come sit with me. This is an important seat because in this seat, we gain eternal life. Eternal life. But God has more for us than just entering the kingdom. God doesn't just want us in the front door. He doesn't just want us at the table. He doesn't just want us in the room. Now listen to me. If you're just in the room, God loves you. God loves you. He has welcomed you, and you are part of his family. And if you are in the kingdom of God, and you love God, but you feel distant from him, You feel like, I pray, and sometimes he moves, and sometimes he doesn't, and I don't know how to get close to him, and I've tried to do some different things, and I've tried to to work it out, but I just, I can't figure out how to feel close to him. I get it. In fact, statistics say that 97% of believers spend their entire life in that And they try to work their way closer to Jesus, and it just doesn't work. But can I tell you something? You don't have to work to get to that seat. You have to surrender more. You have to say yes to more. When God calls you to more, you say yes, and you move to that seat. This seat costs a lot more than that seat because that seat gets us salvation. Man, that value is really high. But that seat is not all God has for you. God wants to interact with you and be close to you, and he wants to dig deep, but here's the problem. Somewhere between this seat and this seat, everything you believe will be under attack. Everything will come under attack. Between this seat and this seat, what God wants to do is he wants to get into your heart and show you the heart of who he is. He wants to rip away every facade and everything that is holding you back and everything that makes you not like him. And sometimes it's like Aslan with Eustace when he became a dragon and Aslan starts shredding his skin to rip his skin off of him slowly but surely taking layer after layer of dragon skin until there's just the boy left. And God will come after everything you believe. Everything. Even what you believe about him will come under attack. And God's okay with it. Because the things that are true about him will still be true when you get over here. But a lot of the things you think are true about God will go away. And a lot of the things you believe about yourself will go away. And a lot of things that you believe about other people will go away. And it's hard to get from that seat to this seat. But if you will let God come at you by his word, and take away all the extra stuff, all the baggage, all the things that we bring into our faith that he doesn't want us to have, then we get to sit 
here, where Jesus is our only focus, where the only person who has our attention is Jesus himself, where we can learn and grow and know Jesus better and deeper and with more understanding, but you have to be willing to give up things you have believed your whole life. And if you were raised in the church, this is really hard. Because you think, but I believe everything I believe is right. No, it's not. It's not. And I'm not saying everything you believe is wrong either. Because there are some things that are in the Bible, and they're clearly in the Bible, that are clearly true. And you need to stick to the, those things will still be there when you get here. They don't go away. In fact, they become stronger in your belief and your conviction the more you let God challenge them. Because he challenges them, or he lets people challenge them, or he lets circumstances challenge them, or he lets others challenge them. And you say, God, I want you to show me what is true. And you get to here, and he goes, you see what's true? And you go, yeah. And now I know it's really true, no matter what. This is always true. Jesus loves me, for example. God, God wants us, for example but God transforms us from there to here. <laughs> this can be a really hard transition because it costs a lot. But the value of this seed is you get to see Jesus in a new light and he begins to move to change your very heart to the point that you can become like him. You see, this is the seat Jesus wants you in. Oh, he's not asking you to save the world again. That's all done. But he is asking you to do what he did. He is asking you to seek and save the lost. See, far too often, we get in this seat. And we're in. but we're not close. And we're not really concerned about other people. We're just concerned about ourselves, being close to Jesus. I just wanna make sure I'm saved. And, and honestly, there's a big debate in, in Christianity, a divide in the church as to whether this line between here and here can ever be crossed the other way. There are some people who believe once you're in this seat, you can't go back over here. I'm not sure that's what the Bible says. And we debate a lot about whether you're here or you're here and how do you know if you're here. And we feel uncomfortable because we want to stay here. You know how to end that argument? Don't stay here. Go here. And then that's not an argument anymore. <laughs> when you go here, that argument goes away. I just want to be closer to Jesus. I just want to be nearer to Jesus. I just want to know Jesus more. Man, can I get in or out? Maybe, I don't know. The Bible seems to suggest that I can, but I don't want to get out. I want to stay in. I want to go deeper. I want to know more. I want to get further in. I want to become more like him. I don't want to move away from him. I want to move closer. As long as you're moving closer, don't worry about the other line. Just keep moving closer. And when you get here, Jesus is going to say, keep coming, keep coming. And very few of us, if any of us, 
become exactly like Jesus in this lifetime. But it is possible to get really close. And there are some things you'll know about people who are really close. When you're around them, here's what you're going to experience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control flowing over and over and over out of them. You ever been around someone like that who just flows with the Spirit of God? You're just near them and you know God's there. It's because they just kept moving closer and they just keep moving closer. But you know what I know about those people? What they care about more than anything else is the people who aren't even curious. They're just broken kids. And I got to be honest, I spent a lot of years in this seat. So somebody got into my heart and began to explain to me that Jesus wanted more for me. And I pursued to get here. And those who know me well know I'm not here yet. (laughs) But I want to be. The problem is, this seat costs the most. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This seat costs everything. But this seat can change the world. And I want to come into the presence of God again and again and again so that he can transform me. I want to surrender everything in me that I believe, that I hold to, that I think is right and true and good. And I want to, I want to let go and let God say, this is what's right and true and good. Look at my word again. And the only way to do that is keep looking at his word. And so I want to study his word. I want to know more what is actually true that God teaches us over and over by his word. God teaches us over and over by his presence. God teaches us over and over what's actually true about who he is. And then I want to become like that. And I'll tell you this. At least for me, what God is saying to me right now is, will you seek and save the lost? And my guess is most of us sitting here today are somewhere between this seat and this seat. This costs more, but the value is high. But even when you get here, You understand that God is still asking more of you, right? I know I've heard this before in ministry. The people who say, Thou, I'm tired. I'm old. Guess what? You ain't done until you're in that seat. 
God still has work for you and work for me. Because what he really wants is for us to seek and save the lost. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.